0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Panama Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. Um, and um, this is going to be a really great episode. A uh, uh, good friend of mine, a uh, good friend of the podcast, um, been a guest two or three times already. Um, this is your third and fourth, third or fourth time on the show. Um, welcome back, KJ Ramsey.
1: Hey, thank you for having me back.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. It's been uh, it's been too long. Um, I can't remember the last time we talked. Even it was, uh, which is so strange because you know we're, we're such good friends. But um, you know, p- pandemic and circumstances and things. Um, yes, yeah, yes. It, it, it's good to have you back on the show. It is is great to be
1: talking with you?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's always lovely to talk to you. Um, and um, it's a special occasion as well because um kj has a second book coming out um i remember Ew. we talked about Ew. we talked about her first book on this show a couple of years ago um and uh i think this two this two shall this two shall pass last um which was great um and now we have a new book so tell us a bit about this new book
1: yeah um so the new book is called the lord is my courage and it is a walk through the phrases of Psalm 23, but also the places where I have most learned to practice courage, and where I've found that even when there's been harm in my life, there has actually also been a good shepherd seeking me. Um, so it's a, it's a, bit of a weighty book <laughs> walking through spiritual abuse and religious trauma and and there's there's so much where I experienced God seeking me and especially as I left had to leave harmful church harmful religion um so that's a nutshell what it's about
0: i'm um, I'm excited to read it and to talk about it today. Um yeah, and I love that whole concept of sharing stories of courage. Um it's funny actually that the title reminds me of this book um by John F. Kennedy called Profiles in Courage, which was a s which was basically a collection of stories about people who showed great courage, right? Um and this is a book of stories of courage, and your own story. Sort of,
1: yeah, sure. yeah. It's not—it's not, well. it's not but, really like profiles, in courage at all. No, but no,
0: um, no, I'm, not, I'm not comparing them. Like, but it, it, oh but no, it's, no,
1: I'm it, just saying. I don't want people to be like get it and be like, oh, it's going to be profiles of different people. It's like actually, no, it's just a—it's a blend of memoir um, and and walking through Psalm 23. And there's so much in that psalm that. I did there that like these are not just trite, like pretty sounding words of the Lord being our shepherd. There's there's such an acknowledgement in these words of not being protected and God being the only protection that we have, and God seeking us in the presence of our real enemies. Um, So it's it was such an amazing experience. Writing, writing this, um, and and realizing like there's so much more here in this story of a good shepherd.
0: Hmm. So, yeah. So, what was your, what was your story, your story behind this book that kind of led you into this book, and yeah, you know, the some of the experiences that you share.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I. When I wrote this, when I started writing this book, I knew that I wanted to write about practicing courage. Um, but I, one second, I, I knew that the landscape where I've most learned to walk with courage and to practice it has been naming and leaving and healing from spiritual abuse and religious trauma and i didn't want to write a book about that like i i didn't want that to be the like the only thing that it was about but it's the story that i have like it's the story it's it's the place where i've been shaped and strengthened and so i showed up on the page and just let myself go there a little bit more than i had planned um and and like, didn't exactly. Uh, it wasn't the plan, even with with my publisher, like that I was gonna go into these stories as deeply as I did. But as I explored in writing, and I started exploring this psalm, I I needed to be more honest with myself, and even reveal a little bit more about my and my husband's experience of being harmed in church. Um, so there's a lot in this book about basically, um, he is, he is a pastor and we experienced being in a very domineering, um, more authoritarian and celebrity wanting, uh, leadership, uh, and church culture. And so, this church that really wanted to be a mega church, this pastor that wanted to be a mega church pastor. And just the amount of the expectations that were laid on us and the, the things that happened behind closed doors. Well, I don't, it's not a tell all or anything like that. Um, it was in really having to be honest with ourselves about the subtlety of this place that was supposed to be a place of peace and healing, the church, these people that are supposed to be about building one another up was actually tearing us apart. Um, And that what I've found over the last several years is that our story is so not unique. There's just so many who have been treated terribly in the church, who have had heavy expectations laid on them, who have really been used as like a commodity, like a brick to build someone else's kingdom, um, and then disposed of when you're no longer useful or when you no longer will let somebody use you. And so I'm really glad I ended up sharing those stories, uh, even though it wasn't my plan. And I'm hoping that Readers will be able to find their own story within it, whether it's whether they share a story of harm in the church or they are reckoning with the distance that they feel from God who is supposed to love them. Um, I hope that they can find, like, both kinds of readers will be able to find their own story reflected in the words.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, yeah. I mean, my experience is I, I find it really, really hard to even. Engage with 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 church or even kind of organise religion because of the abuse that I got in the you know, spiritual abuse, um, and um, that is so difficult because it is so difficult to separate to separate um, the toxic religion and spiritual abuse and uh, and all of that from kind of love and compassion and. You know, and um, forgiveness and all of that, which goes with Jesus. Right. It's you mm-hmm. know, Jesus is still a part of my spiritual journey.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very much so. <laughs> but it, it can't it can never be in the same way again because of what I experienced. And that's what that's uh, what I say
1: too. Like our relationship with the institutional church has forever been changed. And for me that that doesn't mean that I don't still see goodness in the institutional church, but I no longer, my belonging, my sense of belonging with Christ and with the real body of Christ is no longer attached to having to fit into a institution's uh, claims about what is Best and the claims beyond. For me, I still, I still believe, I, I still follow the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed. But beyond there, I think um, there's so many barriers to belonging that the institutional church puts up that I no longer ascribe to, and I no longer am held back by. And I'm so glad, like I, I can have a relationship with the church and be part of the body of Christ, and. I no longer am tethered to this thing that I don't think was what Christ intended for it to be
0: yeah it's it's just it's become something completely different and yeah um I can never- i can't even even some of the even some of the traditions and the liturgies and things I can't even go close to because they become triggering um you know they they've got I've got a lot of got a lot of wounds, um, and that's hard. Um, and it's there's a lot of people who are, who struggle with that, and this book will definitely help them. I am sure. Um, was was writing the book? Give you, did, did it give you any kind of catharsis or healing? Or yeah,
1: oh, so what? much. Um, I mean, there's probably about at least 30,000 words or 40,000 words that did not make it into the book <laughs> of <laughs> the things that I needed to write for me uh and the the version of the story that I needed to tell for me first and it was it I didn't start writing about our experience with spiritual abuse and religious trauma publicly for a very long time um public it was like, in part because my husband is a lot more private than I am. Uh, and so there was a kind of negotiation of like, what are we good with sharing of our shared story? Um, and being like a, a voice that has a pu- in, in the public space, it was important for us to decide like what was just ours to hold? What was... What was this like sacred private place where we were going to heal and let God shape us? And so for a long time, there was a lot that I did not share um, with readers. And I'm really glad that I didn't. Uh, My instinct would have been to probably share a little bit more sooner. But I'm glad that my husband is private because it gave me room to really like work out a lot of the I think this book would be very ragey (laughs) if I hadn't like had a lot of therapy and a lot of time um, before actually trying to set out to write it. But the writing of itself felt like a reclamation of my voice because the experience of confronting spiritual abuse was inherently silencing and we were not heard we were not respected we were gaslit and we were then treated as though we never existed when we decided to resign and so to be able to tell the truth not to not for the reason of setting the record straight or getting revenge on the people who have harmed us but to to just speak the truth about both the harm and the healing that have happened in my life was immensely healing and empowering and and there were points at which when I was writing that i mean there's there's parts like we talk about there's this line I do not hate our former pastor, and I go down there's this long paragraph that's pretty intense and when i when I wrote it i I wept it felt like a confession like I needed, I needed to say this. Um, So yes, it was, it was really cathartic. And also it was, I mean, I have never edited something so intensely before in my whole life. Like (laughs) we went through so many rounds, so many more rounds of edits um, because of needing to really like honor the tenderness of this story um and that was a really great process too. It was really hard, but really great.
0: Yeah, wow. It's incredible, isn't it? I, I I very much believe that nothing is wasted when we when we write. You know, even the things that don't ever make it into the published realm, they're not wasted. Um mm-hmm. and those thirty thousand words that you wrote which nobody will ever read, weren't wasted, right? They were, they were what needed to, what, you, what, kind of what your body needed to to speak, um, <laughs> just for itself. Um, yeah, so that you could write the rest of the book for other people. I guess. Yeah,
1: and like I, I just love writing, so for me, it's not like a sad thing that there's. 30,000 or something words that people have never read because it's like the process of sitting down and stringing together sentences and, and connecting dots is just such a joy. And it's innately healing because it is an active integration to set a story down and to like word after word, put something together, even if no one ever reads it, it is a, a like a creative act of wholeness. And so I, yeah, I don't feel any sadness about all the stuff that I ended up chopping from the book um, because the process was good and healing in and of itself to do.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what the creative creative process is meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. I think, um, and kind of love that. I, I kind of have this love for things that people make that nobody ever sees. Kind of, you know, it's because uh, it feels like they're they're the kind of the most authentic stuff, <laughs> the stuff that needs to be needs to be said, and that actually doesn't need to be read, but needs to hmm. be said that makes sense Mm, I like
1: that I like that a lot
0: (laughs) um yeah I just made that up on the spot that's pretty good that's a good Uh, one (laughs) stuff that needs to be said that doesn't need to be read. yeah that's a Mm good one um yeah but um but yes what led you to this psalm then what was the kind of what kind of guided you towards like I'm going to use this psalm and kind of Have a look at this one. and What was it about that psalm that led you to it?
1: So I became totally captivated by the story of Jesus feeding the crowds, feeding the 5,000. And in some of the gospel accounts of that story, Jesus, it says that he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that line, sheep without a shepherd, just rang out. It, like, lassoed me. And I was like, those are, that's me. And those are my people. My people that this book is for are people who feel like sheep without a shepherd. Like, whether you like the word, there's, the word sheep has been politicized in a terrible way. But sheep are actually way smarter than they're giving credit for and just beautiful, beautiful creatures. So that's an aside that we can come back to a different point, but sheep without a shepherd means people who are beloved and worthy of attention who have been neglected by those who should have given them care. And so I was just amazed by that story of Jesus having compassion and then he, and I know this, you'll see how it all comes together in a second, but because that's not Psalm 23, but it's actually Jesus purposefully enacting the psalm, which is something I discovered like way later. But uh, Jesus has compassion on the crowd and he makes the crowd's hunger his responsibility. And instead of turning them away, like the disciples wanted to do, and saying, like, let them go feed themselves, let them go buy food in the towns themselves, Jesus actually turns towards them and he takes this little boy. That he's like, So see what, see what food is here. And this little boy gives his loaves and fishes and their barley loaves, which is the food, the bread of the poor. So this is a poor little boy. He gives a little bit that he has. And then Jesus takes that little bit, that small offering, and he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it and it becomes more than enough for more than just Jesus and the disciples and the boy, but upwards of what scholars say are 15,000 people. And that little offering of generosity from this boy paired with Jesus's compassion for the people that others had ignored and neglected is what I believe courage actually is. And so the more that I stuck with that, I I just started to like think about the themes of sheep and shepherd. And I also am terrible at structure. And so I remember I was talking to an author friend on the phone and she has a book coming out around a little bit after mine. We were working on our second books, both of us. And she had kind of like an an innate structure for hers. And I was like, I feel like that'd be really helpful if I just had something that was built in that would help me like explore these themes without having to force a structure on it or like create something from scratch, like maybe a baptismal liturgy or something like that. And then we're both sitting there going back and forth about options. And then she started reciting Psalm 23. And she said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And as she kept going, it was like this sacred moment of realizing like every single thing that I was trying to weave into this book was already within that psalm themes of scarcity and provision, themes of trauma and faith and healing enemies all, all of it was there um and so i ended up taking psalm 23 and i made it into 35 words and phrases going straight through it um so like chapter 1 is the lord chapter 2 is my shepherd chapter 3 i lack chapter 4 nothing um, and so I broke it so apart in things that you like might not expect if this was like some sort of devotional book, but um, like, I'm going to talk about that. We actually do experience lack or like there's a chapter will fear. We actually are going to experience fear in life. And scripture is actually honest about that and doesn't say that it's a lack of faith. Um, so the Psalm became my structure. And what I found was what I found along the way was actually that story of Jesus feeding the crowds was Jesus being the culmination of Psalm 23. And the, for the first time in history, the metaphor of a good shepherd of the Lord being our shepherd was no longer a metaphor, but a man right in front of human beings, reaching out and making more than enough for more than just himself. And I'm telling you there's there's more goodness in this wild God than than we can even fathom, and then our harm might make us expect, but oh my word, God is seeking us
0: mm. I love that I love that
1: so that was a long answer but
0: (laughs) no no it's a good answer it's a good answer Um, it's really deep I I love that the way you've broken that down into a whole structure it's kind of almost I don't want to say deconstruct because (laughs) we use that word so often it almost kind of just breaks it up into little chunks which you can explore um And, uh, yeah, that is, that's powerful.
1: Um, I mean, mean, it was powerful to be in it. It it was kind of like this thing that was just like plopped into my lap, which is how I find writing to be in general. Like, you're just paying attention and listening. And it's like you're actually being asked to do something. And if you're listening closely, you will hear what it is you're supposed to do. And there will be more to it than you planned on. And it'll be it will shock you and amaze you but like being the structure itself like I just there was so much more there within it by by slowing down and also like weaving my story into like it was like my story getting to be in conversation with this truly one thousand year trajectory in scripture from psalm twenty three to Jesus there's a thousand years and there's different points throughout scripture and the prophets where the people of god are finding their story being told through the lens of this shepherd who is seeking them and providing for them. And so I got to like think about my story in that and that mm-hmm. story inside of it and oh there's just it blew my mind. My mind is still blown. And I, you know, I finished writing it for a year ago, but my mind's still blown by the beauty of there's so much more happening in our stories than we can see on the surface. We're being yeah. sought.
0: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, absolutely. And, and when we're in our story, it's very difficult to step back and see what's really happening. Right? Mm-hmm. Everyone will like know this who's lived. You know, when you're in something, it's really difficult to stand back and observe it. It's only when something has gone or it's in the past that you stand back and say, "Whoa, whoa you know, that was going on. That was going on. I was feeling that." You know, I, yeah, you know, I've done ther- I've done loads of therapy and. This, is, this comes up in therapy all the time. Like I look back at my life back years ago, and I'm like, oh, so that's what was really going on, right? Um, that's how I realized I'd been spiritually abused. I didn't know I'd been spiritually abused until I left it behind and started talking about it in therapy. And I mm-hmm. was like, oh, my God. Like I was being spiritually abused indirectly and, or well, directly. And my body was showing all the signs of it. Mm -hmm. I just didn't realize because I was in it. I was, until I stepped out of it, and I think I've told you this story and I've told it on this podcast, when I went to this spiritual community and remember physically breathing out for the first time in spiritual community for years. And that's when I realized, like, oh, my God, I haven't done this. I haven't felt this safe. I haven't felt this peaceful haven't felt this able to be me in spiritual community for years. And then it was like, I stepped out of it for one week, one week. That's all it took. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is really bad. I need to get out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And that's, that's, that's because when we're in it, it's difficult to see it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. There's this part towards the very middle of the book that, Talks a lot, I, I talk a lot about why that is the case um, from a nervous system perspective. So I just want to read these couple lines. like why this is why when we're in the middle of it, it's so hard to see. Um, so I say when harm happens, the senselessness and powerlessness of suffering overwhelms our bodies and disconnects us from our brain's innate capacity to name and tame the truth of our experience. Trauma steals our tongues. It disconnects us from being able to readily access the language centers of our brains as we dip down the autonomic ladder to survive. Silencing ourselves is part of how we survive in a community, system, relationship, or situation where our attempts to seek safety are shamed or shut down. Giving pain a name and a voice is a giant act of courage in a subculture that privileges po- positivity. Um, you can't see it when it's happening because you're actually generally in that kind of situation in a physiologic state of stress where you're not as able to access the language centers of your brain. You can't actually name and tame what's happening when your body's in a context where you're not safe. So often it is when we step out of that, or there's something that pierces the veil of the darkness that's happening to us that gives us that ability to name what's actually been happening and, and to be able to experience a different kind of safety where you're like, Oh, Oh, Like it it doesn't have to be like that all the time. It doesn't have to, I don't have to feel that pressure and stress and ickiness all the time. And you're not supposed to feel that way in church and with Christians and God's people. Um, But anyway, that's why like it's a, it's a physiological experience of stress Mm -hmm. that actually keeps us from being able to name the truth of what's happening and to move towards healing the needs that we have,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Um, and yeah, you know, the thing you mentioned about a culture of positivity, like I, that, resonated so much with me because both, both kind of, I guess, capitalist systems, modern capitalist systems, and parts of parts of Christianity like to focus on the positive, right? Like to um, spin everything to positive, you know, to whether in, whether it's in Christianity, it's like, um, oh, it's all like, it's all about God and God is, God can heal us and God can save us and God can like, you know, God can use this, use this to teach us a lesson or God can whatever, all of that. And then in culture, it's, there's other kind of positive language, like which we kind of, like everything's got to be somehow turned into a positive or order, or, or you know, used for good, or all this kind of thing, and it kind of deflects from dealing with our trauma and dealing with our wounds and dealing with the realities that we're experiencing, right? Um, and if we do, yeah, you know, and if we do that, we don't heal. And then, the, then the yeah, you know, like I said many times on this show and elsewhere, if we don't deal with the pain, then the pain starts to control us Mm -hmm. and it takes power over us and passive aggressive power because we don't even realize sometimes that it has power over us and um so we yeah i mean that's yeah that's been one of the biggest failings of our culture and of and of the church is is just wanting to avoid dealing with with pain and trauma and grief i think um, yeah
1: i think that we need to acknowledge that acknowledging pain itself and harm feels like and actually is if we're honest a threat to our belonging so Mm. because the norm within so much of the church and so much of our culture is to pretend away pain and focus on the positive if you are trying to be honest about what's happened to you or what is happening to you about harm, you will often be treated with suspicion, dismissal, even gaslighting. Um, And so I think that there's a self-reinforcing cycle that happens in that like, the currency of belonging in so much of Christendom is a pastel version of the resurrection that forgets all about the cross and Silent Saturday. And we have lost sight of this God who, before he was raised, sat, laid silent in a grave for three days like the reason we can't the reason we struggle to really let ourselves be honest is because we're afraid that if we are honest about what's happened we won't have a community anymore and the thing I want people to know is that yes being honest is going to cost you something but you're actually gonna gain real belonging like you might lose the shiny veneer, fake surface level belonging of uh, a church where you aren't really known and you aren't really loved. Um, And you might be more lonely by being honest in the long run, but you're going to gain belonging with yourself again, Mm -hmm. belonging with the crucified and risen God again. Mm And belonging with people who are courageous enough to be honest about their pain too. Um, So I just think it's important to point out the real risk involved because it does feel like a threat to our sense of belonging if we're really honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's so many people who are in this kind of what has been labeled deconstruction and, and you know, all the stories that I've heard of that are of people who recognize this truth that we're talking about. And they have to leave behind, they have to leave an old life behind. And you do lose belonging when that happens. That happened to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When I, you know, when I left that church that was where I was being spiritually abused. Like, since I left there, I haven't had hardly any contact with people from there. Like they haven't, they haven't reached out to me. Um, You know, um, I haven't felt safe reaching out to them because they haven't made any attempt to do that with me. And when I have seen some of them in person, they've been a bit off with me, you know, like, and and that, that's what happened. That's why it's, so it is, it is, I mean, leaving this stuff behind is a, is a grief experience. It's 100%.
1: it,
0: It is. Absolutely a process of grief, and we have to name that grief and honour that grief and do the work of that. And it takes time.
1: It does. And 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 there's there's a there's a community of grievers out there who Mm. are better able to hold the wonder of goodness because of the space grief has carved inside of us and between us.
0: I love that Why you worded that yeah you're right
1: we lose yeah. so much but I think we are gaining so much more
0: yes yes in time in, in time you do
1: definitely in time lots of time <laughs> <laughs> it
0: yeah. hurts so
1: fucking much
0: <laughs> yes it does it does it really does that's well said um <laughs> No, it really, really does it It's really painful, and um yeah, there is a life on the other side it's It's uncanny really how we we kind of choose to leave like toxic religion and church and things behind, but in the process is very similar to a kind of a death and a resurrection it um, it is. And a, I really, really. Like, and a silent Saturday. Which was always my favorite part of that story anyway. Um <laughs> because partly because it's the one nobody talks about, but also because I think it's the most interesting one. Like mm. um, because well that's where all the the work gets done, that's where all the grief gets felt, that's where all the desol you get the desolation, where you get where the transformation starts. Like yeah um, like my friend um alexander um uh, who's been on this podcast many times and he talks about how, needing to reframe darkness darkness is not about evil and uh pain and suffering necessarily it's darkness is where new life is birthed like the womb the womb is dark mm-hmm.
1: yep yep
0: but that's where new life is birthed right so yes that's what i always feel about that Saturday and about that part of the process that that's where yes. it, it, you can't see what's going on in a sense and it's and it feels like desolation but actually something new is being birthed right in the midst okay of it.
1: if you love that silent Saturday then I need to read you what comes next in that <laughs> passage okay yeah so so I say um I'll start here. When we feel silent spiritually, cut off from the song of the saints and confused about why church hurts so much, our wordlessness, doubts, and darkness are treated like a lack of resurrection faith. But before Christ was raised, he was cold and silent in a grave for a whole day. The word who spoke the world into being went to the wordless place of death. He sank into silence. Courage doesn't begin on the bright day the Spirit raised Christ from the grave. Courage is in the shadows of Saturday, where the word became wordless for your sake. When religious power was used against me and my spouse, shutting us down, making us question our sense of reality, and overwhelming our nervous systems into collapse and chaos, it was the wordless word who was with us in the shadows and the silence. It was the crucified God who gave us courage to see that even the place of powerlessness is a place where God is present.
0: Hmm. Oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to reading this back. <laughs> it's a little intense,
1: but yeah, the wordless word.
0: Hmm. Yeah, wow. I just want to. You just want to. I just kind of want to sit with that. There's nothing. There's not much to say in response to that. It's it's powerful, profound.
1: And that's who we get to. That is who is bearing witness to us when we are silenced by harm of all kinds. The wordless word. Bears witness to us. And it is, it's the God that sat in the shadows of Saturday that sees us in our places of being silenced and shadowed. And we're even, we're being sought and seen even there.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was life, even in those moments, mm-hmm. even though it seems faint, yeah, mm-hmm. wow, wow, Hmm. Oh, that was a moment of. Just meditate. That was a deliberate moment of silence on a podcast. Just in case people are listening and we're a bit uncomfortable, but sometimes you just need to sit with things in silence for a minute. It's um mm-hmm. Yeah. And that feels like a good place to kind of stop a little bit, I guess. Um and let us all reflect on that because it's it's um it's a powerful thing. Um and I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, I can't
1: wait for you to read it.
0: Yeah, I, when does it when, when does it
1: release? June twenty first in the states. Yeah,
0: it'll be later in the UK. I'm sure. Yeah, it always
1: is. <laughs> it always
0: is. <laughs> I still don't get that. It's still a bit weird to me, given that we live in an age of Amazon. But, I know, um, <laughs> um, but uh, nevertheless, um, so um, definitely, I would recommend everyone go and get that hold of that book um and where can they find you um KJ?
1: yeah so you can find me at kjramsey.com and across social media at kjramseywrites. writes as in like writing um i'm all over the place but instagram is my favorite
0: mm. yes kj is very active on instagram very worth very well worth a following on there Um, so thank you. Thank you for coming back. It's always it's always such so life giving talking to you. I I always feel a bit more alive and hopeful after after talking to you. So
1: Well that that is so kind. Thank you. And thank you for sharing part of your story. Oh. There's so much I know I know you've shared lots of those aspects here on the show before, but there's so many of us who have experienced that kind of pain too and yeah we aren't alone in it and i'm glad that you left
0: so am i so am i yeah thank you um and uh thank you for listening everybody